0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. Alright, good morning, good morning, good morning. Let's see how, yes. All right. Oh, I am glad to be with you all today. I am so thankful for this cooler weather. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for fall. I am done with that heat. Last week, I was like, I don't live in Florida for a reason. No offense, Florida fam, but it's not my joint. Like, I don't like this up here feeling all, yes, swampy is the word they like to use for us, swampy so yes as pastor Jay said i am uh wrapping us up in our kaleidoscope series we are on the last week of talking about some beliefs we've taken for granted in the church that we believe to be biblical that god's like actually hold on a second let's look at that again so before we get into things you know this is my last time so please come join me for this book study a lot of what we're talking about in these four weeks and have been talking about is coming from this other half of church book So even if you don't want to join me for the book study, I won't take it personally, but at least read the book. We've just finished it as a lead team, and I promise you, any of them, if you ask them, will be like, yes, this was a game changer for how we are doing things here in our family. So please, please, please take a look at this book and join me, if you can, for an eight-week study on that. So today, we get to talk about a really fun thing we all love, shame, Yay <laughs> Now if you are familiar with the Enneagram, um, Christine introduced it to us a couple years ago, and so it's been fun as a family to like learn what our different Enneagram types are. Um, I am a two, so I am what you would call a helper. And one of my biggest struggles, the fear I like the least, is shame. So today, this is going to be an interesting conversation because please know, that I am talking to me just as much, if not more, than the rest of you, okay? This is not, I know this, I know how this works, listen to what I'm saying, because I got it all figured out, because fam, I don't. This is me just trying to be like, all right, Jesus, this is what you want to talk about? Fine, but I'm not feeling great about <laughs> getting into the nitty-gritty of this this stuff. So where we're going to be today is in uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at how Jesus handles some shame messages in Luke 10, and then we're going to wrap it up with, Uh, King Saul and how he did not handle shame well in 1 Samuel. Before we do that, though, um, I just felt as we were worshiping, I wanted to honor our worship team and our band members up here that they did a fantastic job leading us in worship and our sister Lily just really anointing us in the spirit. So thank you all for that. And it occurred to me that as we were worshiping together, that we don't often think about What does God's face look like when we're doing that? How does he receive our worship? You know, it's the same with prayer. We kind of learn in Sunday school how to pray and how to talk to God, and Jesus tells us very clearly how to say the prayer, but do we actually take the time to then listen to how he received that? So we're going to do that real quick a second. You all know I love to put you through some experiments. Um, We are going to do a little bit of practicing joy if you weren't here for this series, we started talking on week one about joy, and I invite you to go back to that and listen to that on Facebook or on our podcast, but the whole idea with joy is that someone is really, really glad to be with us, and the reason joy matters is because it's what gives us resiliency and buoyancy for the difficult things in life, right? So shame is a difficult thing. We're going to talk about some really good things about shame and some really bad things about shame, so this is a difficult thing to talk about, So, before we get into that, I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for a second. We're going to build a little joy with Jesus. Go ahead and close your eyes. And just take your mind to a place that is very peaceful for you. It can be water, it can be a campfire, it can be a beach. So imagine yourself in that place and just enjoy that for a second here. Let yourself really feel like you're there. You smell the smells and you feel your body relaxing. And Lord Jesus, we invite you right here with us. Would you come and sit with us in this place? And Father, here in this place, we just ask you, how do you receive our worship? How do you receive my prayers and my singing? Lord, we know that your mercy endures forever, and you are such a good, good father and an amazing big brother, and we just thank you for that. Thank you for this time and this gift to be together as a family, and just pray that it would continue to put a smile on your face, Lord. Thank you for always being glad to be with us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so for some of you, that was all you needed today. And if that's all you get today, I'm happy, because that's what Jesus had for you. For the rest of us, we get to talk about the fun, the fun things of shame. So, the fun things of shame. So we have this belief in our, in our family that shame is always bad. And it, it to some extent, that makes sense to us, because the way that we've experienced shame has often made us feel really bad. But the reason that shame is so important is it's one of those emotions in our body that is literally hardwired into our brains, just like fear. We have a system above our right ear that processes shame so that we can learn what it's like us to do when things are going bad or things are going well. So shame is one of these things that God has actually asked his people to learn how to do well so that he can help guide our character. So we know that shame is an important part of character development, but so then too is group identity. So we're gonna talk about all three of these things here today. So I don't know if you can see this very well, but it says healthy shame plus group identity equals character or character change or transformation. And we know when Jesus was on the earth, this is what he was after. When he walked with his people and he built his disciples around him, he was after a group identity that helps us understand what it's like me and my people to do in cases with demon possession or spirits of fear or whatever the case may be, right? Jesus was showing us that we need to have a little healthy shame and a strong group identity to really understand how to change character. Because at the end of the day, and I'll talk more about this later, Jesus is after character change, not behavior management. I'm gonna say it one more time, okay? Jesus is after character change, not behavior management. So if you are coming to church, trying to manage things and hold it up together and make it look like you got it going on, don't do that here. We don't do that here, all right? And in fact, you're gonna hear some stories today from some of us in the lead team who are gonna talk about some shameful things and some ways we experience shame because this matters so much to us that we are here for character change and heart transformation, not behavior management. So what we understand about character, I told you we're gonna work our way from the bottom up because we don't have to spend as much time on character and group identity. A lot of us have an idea of what that is. So starting with character, um, our children go to a school that has a moral focus each month. And one of my favorite things that they taught my kids was character is what you do when nobody's looking. I love that. I love that. Who you are when no one is looking. Or in other words, like our spontaneous behavior. So when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'll be honest with you, fam, my character's not so pretty. (laughs) It doesn't look like Jesus when somebody cuts me off. But I've been working on it. I've been trying to <laughs> trying to learn from my group identity and some healthy shame. Like, what is it like me to do when somebody cuts me off in traffic? So a quote I want to read here for you a minute about character uh, from this book, the study that we're doing, is a common misunderstanding is that our character is defined mostly by moral truth and choices. When we see a flaw in someone's character, we think, oh, they don't understand God's teaching and they're making bad choices. It's true, bad choices were involved, but the root impetus of our character lies elsewhere. In order to change our behavior, we need to change our values and update our stored examples of how people act. We cannot change our values directly. We must get them from our community, our group identity. That's really important, this is why I think God always points back to his family, right? It matters to him that we are never alone and that we are in relationship. So when I hear people say, I can worship Jesus at home, I can do it on my own, listen, I'm not here to shame you if that's, if that's your choice, that's cool, but you're missing out on getting some values updated and some identity created by not being here with us when we talk about hard things or when we go through hard things together. So we know that character matters and it's important to Jesus. And we're gonna talk now about how that group identity comes into play because we have to have in our community mature believers who can show us what it's like to do when something goes wrong. I need somebody who handles road rage really well. Listen, if you do, please come see me. I need your stories, all of them. I need them to come and share some stories with me about how they handle that person cutting them off in traffic. I can't hear lessons, I can't hear teaching. I have to hear, in order for that system to get updated in my brain, I have to hear the story. Okay, so storytelling is super vital to character transformation and group identity. And I wonder what tool Jesus used all the time when he was trying to update group identity. Any ideas? All right, there we go. Some stories. So Paul is going to talk to us in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there to chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3 verse 4 he's going to talk about what happens with our group identity when it gets corrupted so paul says for when one says i follow paul and another i follow apollos are you not being merely human what then is apollos what is paul servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So Paul is showing us, listen, y'all, you got this mixed up here. You're trying to identify with your leader as your group identity. And again, we are guilty of this as a church. We, we look to who's leading that church. Are they a good leader? Do I like them? Are they great? I'm all for honoring Chase, and he is a fantastic leader at this church. But we've just read that Paul says, what is a chase? Come on. Did chase die on the cross for you? No. no. Come on. I certainly wouldn't. No offense. <laughs> Love y'all, but I wouldn't do that. Right? So our group identity has to be centered only around Jesus. That's why he says nothing is sacred here but Jesus, because That is whose church this is, that is whose identity we are surrounding ourselves with, and that is how our character changes. Right? We also make the mistake of forming our group identities around our malfunctions. So what I mean by that is we like to identify ourselves through our pain, our addictions, our trauma, so I will say I'm an alcoholic, and I will surround myself with alcoholics in recovery and say that's my group identity. Now there's nothing wrong with support, okay, absolutely. Those people need to know that other people get it and are with them in it, but they have to form their group identity here. This is why we are the church and this is where people need to be. The sick need to come and be with us because they need to get their group identity from us. Right, And that's why last week we talked about weakness and humility, because we have to talk about, I don't have this figured out either, but I want to do this with you. And I've at least figured out what you're struggling with, so let me share my stories with you about how I have handled the same situation that you're in, and now your brain gets an update and goes, oh, you're part of my people, that's how we do that. That's why the Bible tells all these stories over and over again, even in different ways, because we have to go, oh, I needed to know that's what my people do. And listen, church, if we don't develop the group identity in our people, other influences are going to fill that void. That is why cults operate as well as they do. That is why gangs operate as well as they do. That is why, wait for it. Political parties operate as well as they do. Okay.
1: Wait, wait, that's somebody's toes, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Group identity is going to form you whether you want it to or not. So that that moral you know quote that I'm going to butcher here a second. Who you surround yourself with is who you will become. Fam, that's so true, and that's just not biblically true. That is like scientifically true. And my God is the God of science. Okay, my God of the, in the Bible is the God of science. So I love, I will talk about brain stuff with you all day long because my God has wired my brain to do amazing things and I get to understand him better through that. So this is not just good advice. This is God saying, listen, it matters who you surround yourself with because if you don't, somebody will take advantage of that. Somebody will fill that void and it won't be me. <laughs> And not only this, but if we look at scripture, if you think about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, God was telling his people who they are and how it was like them to behave now that they were free. So we have to look at scripture through the lens of God. When we're reading it, we have to think okay, God, like, what are you showing me that's teaching me what it's like me and my people to do? It's not just what's good for me. It's what's good for us and his kingdom. So now we understand why character matters, why group identity is so important. We get to move on to the shade, The fun part. So... Before we get into that, I'm going to experience, I'm going to share a story with you, and, and I, I want to warn you, it might be just a little bit triggering, I'm going to try to keep it on the more mild side so it doesn't upset anyone, but if you get upset, just take a deep breath, and go back to that place that you were with Jesus, okay, before we started, tune me out, and just go back there with him if you get overwhelmed. So I was in a grocery store a couple years ago. My kids were pretty young, I have three, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I went to a grocery store with all three of them. Um, And it happens to be a store where you have to bag your own groceries at the end. And we're checking out, and there's a person in front of me in this line. She's very agitated. Something is clearly upsetting her. And I was like, ooh. We all do that, right? Like, ooh, stay back from that person. They're about to, no, I don't want carnage shrapnel <laughs> coming my way. So we finished our checkout, and, uh, and unfortunately, the only space on the counter was next to this individual, and so I'm like, of course, you know. Of course, no one else wanted to be near her either. So we, uh, we get our cart over there, and I'm trying to bag my groceries, and my middle decides to get up on the counter. It was only about four at the time, maybe five. And look out this window that's on the one side. And I said, you know, I saw the sign that said, please, no standing or sitting on the counter. So I said, I need you to get down, love. Come down around this way and come, come over here with mom and help me finish with the groceries. Huh. Kids have free will, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> he proceeds to walk across the counter to me. So he obeyed, but walked across the counter in the path of this particular person who had just finished her groceries or was finishing her groceries. And a bomb went off in my face. And it was really hard what came next. But she essentially turned to me and said, don't you see that there's a sign up there? It says no climbing, no sitting. Like, I can't believe you would ever let your child be on this counter. How could you do that to him? How could you do that? People's food is up here. Don't you know it's on the bottom of his shoe? I mean, I'm shooing off for like a good couple minutes on me about how important that it is to keep that space clean, and how he was just, I couldn't, I shouldn't have let him do that. And the worst part was, when she turned away to get some spray from the cashier, she was like, I would never let my children do that. What kind of mother would let their child do that? Even now, like, I can feel the heat in my body and the tension in my chest and tears in my eyes, like, really? Really? <laughs> really? You don't even know me? And you're going to say that? So I just backed up and said, I'm so sorry. I grabbed my kids and ran out of there as fast as I could. I didn't even know how to react. I couldn't even, couldn't even. And I get in my car and I'm like, Jesus. And I'm just so angry, like, oh, who does she think she is? What is that? How could she say that to me? And he said to me, he's like, well, ask me how she feels. And I'm like, I don't care how she feels. Like, I just, <gasps> she just basically told me I'm the world's worst mother because my child had free will, and I could not listen. And he said, ask me what's going on with her. And it took me, fam, it took me a good 20 minutes. I had to take my kids home. I handed off groceries to my husband and was like, please, can you just, something really bad happen? Can you just let me, like, go talk to Jesus? And so I shut myself up in my room and, Finally, maybe 20 to 30 minutes of that whole back and forth, like, no, I don't want to hear. Okay, what do you want to say? No, I don't care. You know, I really it felt very <laughs> multiple personality, <sighs> right? And finally, I listened, and finally, I heard him say, Lisa, she is so sad. She doesn't have anybody that is glad to be with her, and she can't see me. No, it doesn't excuse her behavior. It certainly was not okay that she treated you like that, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. But she is really hurting, and she's having a really hard day. And I was like, okay, Jesus, I pray for that woman then. I pray your blessings over her. I pray that you would give her people to bring her joy. And that's all I could do, because at the end of the day, like. What she said to me and what she did to me was not okay. But Jesus still loves her. And he tells us to pray for our enemies. And he tells us that we need to ask for his perspective on everything. Because we don't know. We don't know. I could have handled that in my own wisdom and said, listen, I don't know who you think you are. But, you know, right? I could have handled that. And would that have been Jesus' reflection to her? No. Right? Right? So when it comes to toxic shame, which if you didn't guess already, that's what that story was, we are not to accept toxic shame. When she said, I don't know what kind of mother would let their child do this, and the, but what I heard, and of course this is the enemy's voice, you're a bad mother, how could you do this, you know, la la la. I'm not to accept that, that's not, Healthy shame. And that's not what we're talking about, fam. That's condemnation and that's guilt. So toxic shame leaves us alone in our shame. Someone has pointed out our failure and left us there. She blasted me and walked away. That's toxic shame, fam. And the Lord does not want us to accept that. Paul says in Romans, and I'm sure y'all know this voice, right? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no, a little louder, yes, thank you, for those who are in Christ Jesus, yes. And in the same chapter a little later, Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. As my friend Mr. Charles told me, they don't have a heaven or hell to send you to, and he's going to be... Regretting that he ever told me that, but listen, listen, like that really stuck in my group identity. Like we are people who don't accept condemnation, right? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Yes, I forgot I had a slide for this. So this is toxic shame. This is condemnation. This is not for us to accept. But there is a form of shame we are to accept. And that is called healthy shame. Otherwise, I like the phrase relational correction. But I don't want us to shy away from the the word shame, okay? Like I know that it's one of those words, we hear it so much that it starts to kind of get wrapped up into all these different meanings, but the, the fact of the matter is, is, that is the system in our brain that is teaching us how to be who we are, so we have to call it what it is. We can call it growth opportunities, we can call it correct, we can call it whatever we want, but at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? Just like fear can be called different things, and we can use different words for it, it's, that's still what it is. So healthy shame affirms the relationship, it points out how I am not acting like myself, and reaffirms who we really are. It's an invitation back to my true self. When I am in weakness, when I am doing something that is wrong, I've forgotten who I am. How many of us in our anger have forgotten who we are? Right? Anger's a weakness. It doesn't feel like it because it feels so powerful. And I love to be the first one to tell you I will love to use some anger. Ask my husband. I'm not proud of it. But I have to really take a step back and go, wait a minute, okay, I've forgotten who I am. So I want to read another quote to you here. Um, I'm sorry if it's a little hard to see. But it says, handling shame in a healthy way protects the joy in our community. A community that builds joy uses correction not only to build character, as we are after that, but also to maintain the joy level of the group. Unlike toxic shame, when we accept healthy shame, we feel better and our relationships are strengthened. Healthy shame is the guardian of joy. It protects our relationship. If I care about you and I come to you, I had to do this with my sister once, I was terrified to tell her some correction God wanted me to share, terrified. Like whoo, cannot do this. And when I finally did and we had our heart to heart and I told her this was hard for me to say, we were tighter than we had ever been before. She heard me, she accepted it, And we, not only were we better off than we'd ever been, but her life was blessed as a result. That is healthy shame. That is what we are focusing on as a family. So let's look at how Jesus did healthy shame, okay? Because we know, like, it's all well and good to say this, but, like, we really need to know the person who's who's the master of our hearts, how does he do this? He's the best role model, right? So we're going to jump over to Luke 10, and look at two examples in there. So feel free to join me if you want. And the first example, Jesus had just sent out 72 people to go and tell everyone that they could, that the kingdom was near. So basically, it's kind of like, all right, get the message out that I'm here, and they're going to want to see this. And go ahead and perform some miracles and things to kind of show them, like, what I'm really, what I'm really about. So we start with, the 70, 72 have returned with joy, and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Praise God, right? And nothing shall hurt you. But, but, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he is telling them, they come in and they're so excited and they're like, yeah, and Jesus is like, yeah, I get that. That is really exciting. That's the first part of healthy correction. Let me join you in what you're feeling. Yes, good job, guys. I'm so excited that that went well. But he notices that they're tempted by something. They're tempted by their works. They're tempted by potentially the fame that could come with what they're doing, right? And so he takes this opportunity to say, but wait a second, it's not like us to rejoice in the, mirac- the miracles we perform. Huh. To, to be happy with a person, absolutely. But it's not where we get our identity. Yeah. Okay, we get our identity from the joy that our names are written in heaven. He knows our names. That is the source of our joy. What we do for the kingdom Is wonderful stuff. I'm not discounting that. But that's not the source of our joy. Now we're going to go down a little further. In the same chapter, we're looking at the story of Mary and Martha. I always get a tongue tongue tie with their names. So now as the disciples and Jesus are on their way, Jesus enters this village. And a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do this all by myself? Tell her to help me. I love this, because I'm like, listen, if anybody's going to motivate anybody to do anything, it's going to be the Son of God, right? Like, that's the person you want in your corner. If I want, okay, can you, Jesus, can you tell my kids, like, could you just please tell them to get down and walk around on the ground and not across the counter? Thank you. <laughs> but Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha. And I love that. I'm going to stop there a second because I can see his face. It's not one of like, Martha. Again with you, you know. He's like Martha, Martha. Sometimes we don't hear it when he first calls us, right? And that's why he's such a good God, is he'll keep calling. But the look on his face—I just want you to picture that—it's joy. He is so glad to be with Martha. And he said, "Sis, I know you're anxious, and you're worried about all this and everything you have to do to get ready." But that's okay to just let that go for a second mary is choosing to let it go for a minute and sit down and listen he's giving her healthy shame he's showing her that what it's like us to do is to really evaluate if what we're doing on the lord's behalf by the way is the most important thing in the moment and we've talked about this before When we talked about hope, like we have to remember that not everything that we think we should do is what God actually wants us to do. That's our group identity, fam. So if I see my sister, or if somebody sees me, please, by all means, I'm trying to learn to do this. So if we have a good relationship, and you see me doing something, I invite you to come up and say, hey, listen, that seemed like a really good thing to do, but is that what Jesus actually asked you to do? I need to hear that, we need to hear that. Our God is a God who loves us with his kindness into conviction, right? it's his kindness that says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how we do things. And again, why would we do things differently? Why do we think we can just run around and bop somebody on the head and say, that's wrong, don't do that, okay, bye, good luck with it, when Jesus would never do that? We can't run around trying to act like we've got it all figured out, because the truth of the matter is, fam, that we like to justify ourselves and why our behavior was acceptable. Here we go, this is where it's going to get, ooh, prickly, Okay? This is why you're my brother. I needed that. Because we will tell everyone and ourselves that our behavior was justified, how we did that was fine, it was in the name of Jesus, it was all for the kingdom of God and his glory, and at the end of the day, I'm just trying to avoid shame. I just don't want to feel bad that I probably did the wrong thing. And listen, listen to me, because Saul is going to show us what it looks like to get some correction and to not receive that well, okay? He's a good example of what happens when he tries to justify himself. So now we're moving over to 1 Samuel 13. And this is one of Saul's uh, first, like, bigger battles. Uh, He's only been king for about two years So he had been told he had to wait to go into this battle because um, Samuel needed to be there to help with some some burnt offerings for this battle to go well. So Saul has waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. He's doing what Samuel asked him to do. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So we've all been there, right? Like, okay... (laughs) <laughs> we're all alone and no one's coming to help. A book on church planning is a, a joke that my husband and I make. Because sometimes it feels like, wait a second, God, you said to go do this. You said that people were going to be here to help me and there's no one. Crickets. So we've all been there. So Saul takes matters into his own hands and says, bring that burnt offering to here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Which... Let's be honest, like, sounds like a good thing to do. Okay, people aren't coming. This needs to get done. So I'm just going to do it myself. Who hasn't done that? As soon as he'd finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Hello, God's timing. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and you did not come, hello, this is your fault. And the Philistines had started gathering at Mishmash. I don't even know if that's how you say that word, but I like it. So I said, the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, I mustered up the energy and offered that burnt offering. Samuel's trying to say... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, what'd you do? And instead of Saul hanging his head in shame and saying, I'm sorry, I thought I did the right thing. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. I just was getting really anxious and worried and, and being honest about his weakness, right? He says, You made me. You made didn't show up, and it's your fault that I did this. You should be preaching this with me. So, self justification in the Bible is stiff necked, it is the person who will not hang their head in shame. So, when we see the wrath of God, and people always ask about, well, God was really angry in the Old Testament. Listen, fam, it's because not only were his people doing things the wrong way, but they wouldn't apologize for it and hang their head in shame. And that is the wrath we deserve because we do not hang our heads in shame. We don't. We try, but we don't. It is in our human nature, in our flesh, to not hang our heads to say, but no, you made me. You made me. Woman at the grocery store, you made me feel bad. How dare you? You know you are such a jerk. For blah, 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 blah. and I don't care that my kid did. Blah blah, 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 Right? That could have been my response. This is a, a quote from the book again, because I and I have to say that because oh, this one like in my heart just stabbed me. God will never accept, never accept our self-justification because we are speaking the language of the serpent. No. We are speaking his language when we try to justify ourselves. Yeah, I know. It, like I, Yes, I literally wanted to kind of curl up in a ball. Like, oh. But instead, instead, God invites us to humble ourselves, abandon our self-justifications, and return to him. Y'all know he knows everything already, right? Y'all know, like, there's no clothing in heaven probably, right? Sorry, TMI. But I'm just saying, it's in our nature, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, that's what they did. They ran and hid. They run away. And then when God goes to them and says, what happened, what did you do? Adam goes, she did it. And Eve goes, he did it. That snake did it. Right? That's what we do. That's what we do. Or it's like, it's like just, we're wired to just go, oh, it's not my fault. But when I justify myself, I am essentially erecting a shield against any corrections that are brought against me. And I would dare say that I'm erecting a shield between me and God. I am hiding myself from the one person that can help me. We are putting up a shield to hide from the correction, and our character will be impervious to change. He can't work with stiff necked people. That's why he's so so angry in the Old Testament. I can't do anything with y'all. You're not willing to, not only are you not willing to hear me, but then when I tell you you didn't hear me the right way, you're like, oh, oh, well, we were just doing what we thought we were supposed to do. How do you do, how do you do anything with that? Like, even as a parent, I'm like, I don't, oh, my goodness, if my child, I just, ooh. I mean, for real, like if my kid was trying to like justify their decision and they had made a bad decision, it is, it is really hard to be like, ooh, okay, you're trying to avoid shame. So a lot of times in our family, what we try to do is just when that happens, we just try to say like, listen, I'm not trying to ask you to protect yourself from any punishment or consequences, although that might be the case. I just want to be here with you in this. This is a mistake that you have made, and I, we are people who learn to hang our head in shame. Let's talk about this. A mature disciple of Jesus, here's some spiritual maturity, is eager to accept correction and to share those stories of being corrected. Do we remember why it matters to share those stories? Right? Because it's how we teach our group identity, okay? So we are eager to accept correction and we are sharing those stories of being corrected and we make sure this becomes a part of our DNA in our community. So as followers of Jesus, we talked about this earlier, we are after character transformation, not behavior management. I am not going to go and give a healthy shame message because I am trying to manage the way that you do things and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh Uh-uh. Okay, that's not it. I'm going to share a healthy correction with you because I love you and I know you love Jesus And I want to help you look more like him. And I am going to be with you in that shameful place. Right? Healthy correction in relationship. And as followers of Jesus, we are learning together to reject condemnation. Condemnation says you're bad. And there's nothing you can do about it. Okay? And someone comes at you and says, You're a bad mom. And there's nothing you can do about it. No thanks. That's the language of the serpent. You can move on. Keep going. Bye. Okay? That is not what we're talking about. We are going to reject any condemnation. So if someone comes at you with this, You're bad. You can't do anything right. All of that toxicity, that is not of God. Let's be clear about that. But we are to eagerly share and accept correction. And finally, as followers of Jesus, we are learning how to humble ourselves, this is the one that your sister is really struggling with, and to not accept self-justifications. I shared uh, some healthy correction with my husband the other day, and he responded with, it was so eye-opening to me, because it updated my brain, When I was sharing some healthy correction, I said, are you open to receiving some of this healthy correction that I, something that's come to mind? And he said, okay. And I said, okay, well, here's what I saw and just a reminder that we are people who love others well and we do not go talking about them to other people that we don't know. And that was how I did that. And then he just went, okay. Yeah. I was like, huh? How do, you, how do you do that? Because if that were me, I'd be like, no, but wait. See, what I was trying to do was I was trying to process with my friend over here, and I was trying to tell them so they could help me better. What I really wanted was for them to help me learn to pray for this person. We can make our self-justification sound like saints, but fam, that is of the serpent, okay? We don't accept it. We don't accept it. So if you hear me coming at you with some self-justifications, please gently, okay? (laughs) Gently, lovingly correct me. I am still a sensitive person, so I do feel things. I do feel shame naturally pretty deeply, right? So you do have to come at me pretty gently because it's just, I naturally feel it. Some of us, were like, okay, great, thanks for that, and we move on, but some of us really do feel it very deeply and need gentle correction, okay? So we're going to do a little <laughs> practice here. We're not actually going to share healthy shame in, in here yet, especially because we've got new family members, so we want to build up some relationship first before we, we do that. But um, what we are going to do is a couple things for you to take home and then a few stories, that we're going to hear in just a second. The first thing we need to do is to watch for those self-justifications in ourselves. And we need to share those healthy shame messages in the Hasid relationships like we talked about last week where we, Hasid meaning sticky love, like covenantal love. Like I'm gonna love you no matter what, rain, snow, sleet, just like the post office. Like I'm gonna be there for you, okay? So we're to share those healthy corrections in those types of relationships where we are really, really loved and valued by that person. Um, And we are to share these messages with joy on our faces, which can be really hard to do because the truth is that I may feel really disappointed and frustrated. So then the ideal thing would be for me to go and breathe and talk to Jesus for just a second before I come at you with some healthy correction, okay? Sometimes we think we have to give correction in that moment, but we're not animals that forget five seconds later, okay? So it's important that if something is happening that is really something you really feel like you're supposed to talk to this person about and give healthy correction, it's important to process that with Jesus first, okay? Because we can do damage if we haven't processed with him and held it up to him first and asked for his perspective. And the Lord has honestly shared, sometimes shared perspectives with me that I didn't even know was going on in that person. So now when I give this healthy correction, I have compassion, I feel loving towards them. I can even sometimes say, hey, you know what, God showed me that what you were really trying to do is this. Like, I know you were really after this. But the truth is, you know, we are people who do not do it that way. Instead, we are people who do it this way. So that's an important part of that is we, that language, like my face should reflect that I love you, I'm glad to be with you, our relationship is not in jeopardy, and then I should be able to say, we are a people who do X, Y, Z. We do not do X, Y, Z, okay? So as we get used to this healthy correction, hopefully, My hope for us and for myself is we'll get excited when somebody comes to correct us. So someday, saints, pray for me. My husband will be able to say, are you open to correction? And I'll go, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I can't wait to find out what's going to make me look more like Jesus. Yes. Right now, my answer is like, oh. I'm going to throw up over here. So pray for me. One day, right, right. it's a goal, okay? It's just a a spiritual goal, we're working on it, Jesus knows. So, but that should be our goal as a family. We should be a family that is like, oh, I get to share some healthy correction with you today. I get to strengthen our relationship. I get to be with you in this difficult place and share this with you, and we can even pray together after we're done. All right, so enough from me talking. Um, I did, oh, I forgot to put this up here, I'm sorry. This was, I wanted, if you wanted to take a picture, this was the slide of... um, how to say it, to say that healthy shame message. We do not blink, instead we are a people who blink. And the goal of that is to make us, it will change our character, but the goal of that is to make us look like Jesus. That's what we're after. So we get to hear from a couple people today. I'm so excited. I asked a few friends and loved ones to come and share some shame stories. Our brain needs to hear about three to five stories, honestly like every day for six months to really understand um, how we handle certain emotions. So that's why I was like, if you have good road rage stories, please share them with me because how you handle that well because I need lots of stories. I need to hear it lots of times. Um, So that's why storytelling is so important and I invited um, my husband Paxton to come and share a story and then also Pastor Chase.
1: Mm. man this is like honestly this has been such a good sermon series so uh, i love what i love what's happening honestly i really do um i've my favorite part about it is it, it really is building into the foundation of the health of our community right that's like This is what church is about. It's not just about coming to worship, and that's a wonderful thing. It's not just about a Bible story. It's about us doing community and life together. And so having tools to do that well, that is a blessing to our family. It's a blessing to our family. So uh, we, as a lead team, we've gone through this book together, and I'm going to read a quote from it, and then I'll tell you a little bit about how it impacted me. It's in the seventh chapter. Uh, and it was talking about enemy mode. And so uh, in simple enemy mode, all our relational circuits have shut down and we want people and problems to go away. We do not listen well to others and our minds are locked on at our problems. We want to get away from a person, even if we love the person. In conflict, we will argue aggressively and will be quick to judge we all lapse into simple enemy mode from time to time. I was walking Samson, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Samson is our dog. He's a great Dane, and uh, he likes long walks. And I was listening to this chapter while I was walking him, and that part, like, completely, uh, like, <laughs> I had to, like, press pause for a second and, like, stop for a minute and, like, okay, Holy Spirit. Uh, and I realized that when it comes to healthy shame messages or correction, I actually receive those messages really well from most people. I'm okay with it. I'm, I, I like, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what it is, all right. But I, don't, I, I didn't from Christine, from my wife. I'm just being honest, I didn't. And it was in that moment where I was aware, like, oh my goodness, I do this well with other people, but not with my own wife. Where she has healthy things to help me grow, but I sent a text to her and I said, but it feels like acid being poured on my eyes. And it's because of how vulnerable, how intimate our relationship is that I feel like any moment where she's trying to correct me, like it's like super, super intense. And I realized that I hadn't matured in that area. I just hadn't grown. I'm good here, you can say it, whatever, and I can let it roll off my back or I can accept it as correction. But with my wife, any sort of dissatisfaction I struggle with, Uh, and walls go up, and defenses go up, and literally sent her this long text (laughs) uh, repenting of that, repenting of that, and wanting the Holy Spirit to create in me a, a heart that is able to receive. If this is the partner that God has given me in life, then he will also shape and mold me through her And I'm not being willing to be shaped and molded if I'm putting up barriers between she and I, right? And so that was... Like a month and a half ago, look, (laughs) uh, and and honestly, been working to be disciplined to stay vulnerable in those moments. Um, But honestly, I feel even more free, and like that God's been blessing me by staying in that place of vulnerability. So that was that story from me. And then Paxton, you can.
2: Just keep thinking how funny it is about this uh, insert phrase here, a book on church planning. Someone's going to write that. All right, so uh, my story of really kind of acting like myself happened a couple months ago. And uh, we were out on vacation with some family members. And I remember going up the stairs as a member of my family was coming down the stairs. And uh, it was just wide enough for both of us to just barely fit as we walked past each other. And he says, oh, hey, Paxton, how you doing? And he gave me one of those little tummy rubs. And I remember feeling like, okay, this is the first time this ever happened to me. And I was stuck in that mode. He kept walking, but I was stunted. I was paused. I remember my ears were feeling really hot and my stomach was turning. And I started thinking about pregnant women when people touch their bellies. And am I pregnant? And just feeling just really just kind of just really low. And at that point in time, I remember thinking, I've never felt so big and so small in the moment. And I walked upstairs, went into the bathroom, pretended to use the bathroom because I was really kind of processing this, but I didn't process it with God because I was angry. And I was trying to figure out a really good way to get him back. (laughs) So I did some things that were not good. So I proudly stepped my neck up, went downstairs, Notice noticed that he and his wife were washing dishes, and I came up behind him, and I said, you know what, I think you're doing a really great job. Attaboy. Right on his rear end. And he goes, whoop, looks back at me sternly and says, no, that's not okay. And I remember, like, right in my eyes, and I was just like, I felt this moment of shame, and, like, what did I just do? What's going on? But then I completely covered that up by just saying, okay, cool. And then in my mind, said, I'm justified. That was good. I got him. Yeah. And so then I marched upstairs, and and Lisa was upstairs reading, and I came there, and I was really proud. And I said, you know. And she's like, What are you so happy? I'm so happy about like that? You know? You look like you just did something. And I said, Yeah. Told the whole story. the a boy. And he, and she's like, Okay. That doesn't seem like you. It doesn't seem like who who we are. What do you think you should do about that? And I remember just like, Okay. I didn't feel the kind of shame that he made me feel downstairs. I felt love. Like she saw me and she knew that what I was displaying in front of her was not who I am and whose I am. And I said, all right, prayed about it. God told me that I need to just go and apologize. And I was like, no God, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna go apologize. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what kind of, this is gonna really, you just ruin our relationship already if it hasn't already been ruined. And he said, just trust me. Just go do it. So I walked downstairs. And at that point in time, he was alone. And I said, you know, I am sorry for what I did. That is not like me to do that kind of thing. I haven't done anything like that since I was in football in high school. And everybody just kind of did that. I didn't. That's not me. And, you know, I, it's not like me to act like that. And I am sorry that I made you feel that way. Um, and then I told him hey, this, I did this because of this, and it's not something that I ever should have done. And he turned to me, and he said, you know what, I'm sorry that I did that to you on the stairs. I didn't even notice that I did that. That was just like a, re, a, a reaction, and I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. You know, I feel much closer to you than I ever have before. This I'm so glad that we, we've we never had a conversation like this before. This is awesome. And so he gave me a hug, and I felt like, Okay. <laughs> I listened, I obeyed, it worked out, and I built a better relationship, and it came out of shame. Wow! And so I remember feeling much more like myself because I was able to come into that conversation like God wants me to be.
0: Yes, I hope you enjoyed those stories. I know I did, even hearing it again. Um, and Chase, thank you for saying that. That is a place I am into that I need to learn to let those closest to me. <sighs> Did that sound like the way Paxton described himself at the end? Did that sound like our people? Didn't it? Like, and what a testimony to this family member who, I don't know where their walk is with Jesus, but how cool for them to like go, oh, wait a second, okay. I see you, you're doing it a little differently than I would, that's cool, all right. And we're closer now, our has said has grown stronger. Right? So I just wanna encourage us as we go in the upcoming weeks um, in places that we're, as we're growing as a family and it's trans time of transition for us, this is gonna be one of those things like to focus on for our family is to, not only to, to build the joy, but also to build that has said relationship with one another so that we are in places where we can share some gentle, healthy correction. Um, And please know, I think it's okay for me to say this, on behalf of the lead team, Like we are a part of that also. Um, Chase has said this before, but I feel like it's worth reiterating. No one is above any kind of correction, okay? So just important to know that that is is how we, our hearts are for our family as a lead team, that we all want to share correction together. So let me just pray us out. I wanna um, have you stand, though. Need to like shake off. I just kind of, oh, yeah, it's good, it's good stuff, though. All right, let me pray for us real quick, Heavenly Father. I just thank you so much for my family um, and pray for those also, God, who couldn't be here today with us. But I just pray, God, that they would know that they are a part of this family and that we love to be with them as well. I just ask, Lord, that you would show us how to speak your language of healthy correction. Father, that you would teach us how to show joy, joy on our faces and teach us to um, have his said with one another and to grow as a people in um, sharing our weaknesses and corrections for one another. We want to look more like you. We want to be more like you. And at the end of the day, Father, all that really matters is what you have to tell us and who you are and, and who you say we are in you. I just pray that you would speak to our identities as family members, that we would know that we are yours and we are rejoicing over our names being written in your book as your children. I just ask that you would continue to bless us in the weeks and months to come and pray over anything that is hindering us from focusing on you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.